Hey guys, welcome back to another t uh, week of TechCast. I'm nine. I'm four. I'm two. And we got a grand new week for you, full of tech news. Lots of major headlines this week, of course. Uh, it's my week, that's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So much great news are coming out this week. And, you know, we should start with the ball rolling. Uh, first things first, I just want to remind you guys, if you're watching and really enjoying our podcast, don't be afraid to like, subscribe, follow us on our many social media. And share with your friends. Share, share with your friends. With your friends. We would love to have debates with you and your friends on the podcast as well. So share it with your friends and maybe we'll get you on. Having an eternal argument with your with one of your buddies, think he's wrong? Let him come over and give us the question. If you, maybe we answered in one of our previous podcast topical question debates. You know, you never know. Bring it up. If we, if even if you're wrong, bring them up. Anyway, let's start the story. Uh, we got a lot to. Let's start with one that's kind of hits close to home and kind of speaks good news to us. It's Spotify. Uh, now you guys don't know we're also on Spotify, so you know if you're listening from Spotify, hello, welcome. But uh, it looks like there are some of you guys listening because Spotify has reported some great earnings. Um, so not enough to make a profit, unfortunately, but great earnings, and they're speaking to their podcast side as a big winner so apparently according to spotify a quarter of their spotify users now listen to podcasts oh wow um, as part of its fourth quarter earning announcement it says that a total of its total user count that hits 345 million users of which 155 million are paying customers they said a quarter of that is not listening to podcasts the company says that today it saw a 100% year-over-year increase in revenue coming from the podcast studio. That's nuts. And Spotify says despite another lose-making quarter, it would focus on growing its user base instead of looking for profit. Uh, it, it, it cites the Joe Rogan experience, which become a, which we have became a Spotify exclusive late last year, as the number one podcast in 17 territories. So... They're really looking for podcasts to be a, a, a major hitter in their in their platform. Mm -hmm. They see a lot of great revenue increases in that. And they said despite them having a loss in, in terms of profit, they're not looking a way to marginalize their customers, but in fact just increase the user base. What do you think? So a good strategy? What do you guys think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think getting you know your user base larger and kind of perfecting your product is kind of a at least a proven strategy to work right now I mean look at places like Amazon right they're one of the I think probably the largest corporation maybe in the world at this point and what did they do they took a loss for how many years in a row before they started turning a profit right they yeah. became the best in distributing goods and services uh, goods at least right so 100%. I mean they're proof right there that you can become the best in the world even while you take some time to actually start turning a profit yeah, I agree. I mean, like a lot of these companies, you know, mostly tech, you think about, you know, Apple, you think about uh, Amazon's a great example. Netflix, huge, great example. Yep. You know, these companies took years and years of losing profit to make one. You know, Spotify could be it. Kind of Spotify may not be that. You never know. But, uh, you know, it's good that they're not trying to marginalize, I think, on their existing customer base and just trying to extend um, yeah. their their current base. What do you think, uh, too? Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. It's exciting to see, right? Um, you know, we talked about it in the very beginning of when we started this podcast, right? We really thought when we were going about creating, you know, our podcast, for example, right? We were really thinking like, all right, what's the best approach? You know, should we go the podcast route, YouTube channel route, or maybe we go like expose our faces and do something else, right? 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, we really settled on podcast because we saw it as the next big thing for us, right? We saw it as the way to get our message out there. And I guess Spotify is noticing this as a podcast platform. And it's exciting to see how podcasts are growing. And so we're excited. I'm excited to see the growth in the whole podcast community. And uh, I'm excited to see what comes next. So, yeah. I mean, I, I read a bunch of articles. I don't know if you guys have been reading it. Uh, there was one, I think, in the Washington Post uh, talking about the future podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, they expect great future potential for podcasts in general. Um, Spotify being one of the major players in it are really pushing for that front. They saw, like they said earlier, saw a great success with Joe Rogan, a huge podcast winner mm-hmm. in their book, who is now an exclusive on their platform. And Spotify understands that his, you know, show is not just, uh, uh, what's it called, just a diamond in the rough. You know, that there are other great successes. You see a lot of uh, celebrities now get into it. Uh, you know, like uh, Michelle Obama has her own I think, po- uh, podcast now. Uh, we're talking about other exclusive celebrities also starting their podcast up. So podcast is becoming a more and more platform. I think more and more people are starting to take interest in. Not to mention with the uh, pandemics that we are in right now, it's just the perfect environment to be like listening on a podcast, right? So I, I think I, I think Spotify is making some good moves. Mm-hmm. Let's hope it pans out, you know? Sure. Especially for us. Especially for us. Yeah, especially for us. <laughs> and let's move on to another small story. This is another, I think... Uh, promising and just an interesting tidbit um but it's about our uh, the empire state building um okay. and funny enough the empire state building and other related buildings are now entirely powered by wind so it's for the first time the, the skyscraper and 13 other buildings owned by the same company are powered solely by wind power this is uh it came from the empire state <laughs> rally trust which announced wednesday that a major purchase of wind power from Green Mountain Energy and Direct Energy, making it the nation's biggest real estate user of entirely reusable energy. Uh, the three-year contract, which started at the beginning of this year, will provide an estimated 300 million kilowatts of hour of electricity for more than 10 million square foot portfolio. That's enough to light up every single home in the United States. Uh, in the, sorry, New York State for an entire month. So they they. By expanding their reusable energy commitment to their entire portfolio, ESRT is avoiding production of about 450 million pounds of carbon dioxide, which is the equivalent of removing all New York City taxis on the road for a year. So this is some great news for a renewable community, for the environmental, of course, and stuff like that. And it's just an interesting tidbit to think that the Empire State Building and other famous buildings in the New York City state uh, skyline are now being entirely powered by wind. What do you guys think about that? I think it's dope. You know, I'm, I'm always for more green energy being used. I mean, I think that it's, you know, never never really a, a bad thing. So long as they can do it properly and, you know, they're not going to, you know, have any necessarily downsides to it. I can't really think of anything that's going to be totally bad about it, except for maybe there's a handful of concerns uh, in terms of, like, jobs and making sure that people are transitioned properly into new into new job uh, opportunities out of you know other commodities and um, uh, energy energy what sort of thing of energy types I guess uh, but I think it's totally cool very happy to see it what do you think Tim? it's a, it's interesting right because you know I've never understood these concepts because you know being a New Yorker right being from New York City we use 
Con Edison, right? Consolidated Edison here for energy and everything. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like how how does that really work? Does Con Ed just give them a credit and pull the energy from Green Mountain? Like what? How does the power grid really shape up at that point? Is what I'm trying to figure out. Like, good point. From my just from my understanding is like, if Con Edison goes green, everyone goes green, right? But yeah. like, how can just the Empire State Building and those 13 other buildings go green? right by just pulling energy from other places without having mm. solar panels or something else on top of their buildings themselves maybe they got separate lines they are pretty yeah. big you know they're big they're big 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 buildings a, you're talking about big buildings they probably have, you know it's a whole portfolio that they're you know governing and stuff like that right so they're they're making exclusive direct contract with these guys with these uh renewable energy guys so it's just a matter that they wanted to make business with renewable energy uh, companies and these companies are getting their power directly from reusable energy like wind right so it's not necessarily a fact that the empire stable now has its own turbine how uh, energy but it's just a fact yeah. that it's getting its energy directly from wind power which the company's gathering themselves and they have a direct portfolio contract with them for you know, I, I, yeah you, you could probably be right too right like maybe there is just some uh some wind power company they're doing business with and that that, that company just feeds power back into the power grid in the same amount that they know they use every year, right? So, I mean, that could, that could be, yeah. be one of the ways yeah. that they're doing it. And, I mean, would there really be any difference? No, I mean, to me, if, if that building is powered on a separate line of wind power or it's plugged into the power grid directly, which is, you know, wind power and then also oil and other things, right? Um, so long as that the, the power that they're using, the amount that they're using specifically is, you know, accounted for by the amount of, you know, renewable wind energy getting put into the power grid. And at the end of the day, it's the same thing. So I, I guess it's really not a big deal. Yeah. yeah so I mean, now, now, see, if they do something like that, that makes more sense to me, right? Like, I, I'm just, sorry, I'm just always a stickler for the details. I always just wonder, like, all right, like, I'm New York City. I got Con Ed running through every single house I know of in New York City or building I know of yeah. in New York City, right? So, like, how is it really transgression? But to your point, right, if they're logging in, like, how much energy they consume, and this Green Mountain company just putting that energy back into the grid through whatever I, deal they can do. I, with I, and I, that think it's like, I think it's exactly that's what's going on. Um, it makes yeah. sense because the Empire State Building is a build. It's not like it's not like an entertainment, you know, complex. It's just a normal office building. It's more of a if you think about it, a tourist hub. If you think about yeah. it, right? I, I'm pretty sure they have. Well, not know, necessarily. The Empire State Building is a major office building in New York City. Yeah, but I mean, like. If you think about it, the uses of power doesn't fluctuate that often. I mean, they probably yes. have histories of histories of historical data of how often that that building probably uses changed this power. year. You know how many computers probably, are shut down probably, and not used? Probably changes this year. You know that probably looked better for the green for the energy consumption company because they probably paid more than they had to. Yeah. Uh, but either way, it works out for them because, like you said, probably just going back to the grid. You, you know? know, another big question I have is where are these wind turbines located? Like, you know, they're in New York. How many miles away is this power? Right. Think I don't about know how much power loss there might be, tra like transitioning from that grid across from where you could actually fit an ample amount of amount of uh, wind turbines. Where are they going to be? There's no space anywhere near New York. It's got to be. They have to have some other reusable, I think, places within if it's far within the spots to like make up the difference of power transfer. I wouldn't think that they didn't think of that, but I honestly don't know. I have to really look into the details to see this thing. But anyway, let's Good let's move on. It's a good concept. I, I, I hopefully this is more of an idea of like, of a gateway, you know. Yeah. Of other of the you know the city start becoming more green and stuff like that. Maybe right, more here, here's the big thing about green power. It needs to be widely adopted, right? 
just yeah. directly jumping into it and forcing people to do it and like you know there need to be benefits you need to have people adopt it and start using it and jobs be created right i don't necessarily like the idea of just right right now right here right now completely do everything stop using oil right like that, that to me that's not a solution right you need to transition to it yeah i'm absolutely for the idea right less pollution you know less green uh, less greenhouse gases all of those things are are phenomenal right you know regardless of you know people who believe in global warming or don't or you know everyone's got their own opinions on it but regardless of that you know i think we can all agree that having good quality you know air to breathe is is important and oh 100 are important and you know there's no downside in, in in you know using green energy but you know let's just transition to it the right Slowly. way yeah yeah 100 like i said this is a great i think tradition point to think look back on you know the empire yeah. statement as i said are historic and you know, it's only a matter of time before other uh, yeah, historical absolutely. landmarks and the city itself. This this is exactly how you transition. This is exactly, exactly. how you do it. You get businesses like this you get... to get on board and start, you know, putting money into it. So I'm happy. Exactly. With this. Anyway, let's move on. This is a story I think you're gonna find very nice for. I think you really like this one. It's a Google story. So uh, Google paid uh, 6.7 million to their bug bounty hunters in 2020. Oh wow. So Google said to uh, this, uh, I think this was two days ago, they said that they paid more than $6.7 million in their bug bounty rewards to 662 security researchers across 62 countries for submitting vulnerability reports in Google's products last year. Uh, this figure is up from their $6.5 million that the company paid in 2019, which at the time was the company's largest price pool paid to security research to date. So they beat that uh, this past year. Many of their last year bug prizes were awarded in Chrome's VRP vulnerability reward program, which was yep. handed out more than 2.1 million to security researchers for 300 bugs identifying Google's flagship browser. On top of these, Google has also said that $400,000 were sent to security researchers through its research grant program that the company used to fund uh, innovation areas of security research. And this also marks uh, Google's 10th anniversary for their VRP program. So. Lots of good headliners in that part. Uh, what do you think, For I'm actually really interested about your thoughts on this one. Dude, this is incredible, okay? Bug bounty is probably one of the best ideas that, that was, you know, really brought into the security area. And, I mean, it's, it's almost like crowdfunded work, right? And, how, okay, think, think about this, right? Why, why do people typically hack? And why what are these vulnerabilities going to be used for in the future, right? They're going to be used to get data or get credit card numbers and eventually... Yeah, money. You're financial selling gain. information. It's because of financial gain. And I mean, you know, occasionally you have people who are hacktivists and do stuff to make a statement or, you know, people who do stuff just to cause chaos and whatever, right? But in, in, in a majority of cases, your threat actors are typically after some type of monetary gain. And bug bounty gives them another option now, right? If you're after monetary gain and you find a critical bug, either you can use that bug and make money or... You submit it and you get a million dollar payout from Google. I mean, this is a much better alternative than them selling data or using these things, you know, badly in in, in you know uh, malicious fashion. So, 100% bug bounty is important. It gives you know people who are just after financial gain another option to actually go out there, find these vulnerabilities, and submit the bugs themselves instead of looking for an illegal payout. And you know, I, I think that this is really important and. Um, it kind of just gives you, it gives people more options. So I, I, I'm a huge fan of the programs. I think that they're a great thing to do. And 
you know, it also just gets more eyes on your products, right? Even if people aren't finding bugs, they're looking. And just having, you know, security-minded people and security researchers look at your applications, they're, you know, you're going to be, you're going to have better, more secure applications in general, so. What do you think, too? I completely agree. You <laughs> know, like, you, just, <laughs> you, su you summed up all the major points, right? You already stated my opinion doesn't matter here. So it's all good in the hood. It's all good in the hood. <laughs> but, like... I mean, I find it interesting that, uh, you know, last year's Google's, uh, not last, well, 2019's Google's record uh, was beaten, right? At the time, like I said, it was 6.5 million. Uh, to give uh, an idea of how big that was beaten, the year prior in 2018 it was 3.4 million. So it almost basically doubled. And what was 2020's uh, again? I forget. You 2020 was 6.7. 6.7, okay. So not a huge increase from last year, but since we're talking about the year prior was a record-breaking one, I'm surprised they're continuing to yeah. throw it up, right? So that means that they're... It's been on the increase basically ever since 2018. I think between 2016 and 2017, it went down 0.1 million. Yeah. Right. But it basically has been on a on a curve upward curve since then. So there, Google's paying out some big bucks uh, to to their broke bounties. Um, they're having like I said multiple programs, uh, with Chrome and other products and stuff like that. So and Google's always been a high proponent of this for years, as uh, Tor talked about. Um, this is, you know, it just, it just, it works for everyone. It works for the consumers who are facing with these issues that may face these vulnerabilities. Google, the, uh, the reputation gets uphold as secure products, not to mention it's just easier for them because they're, it's a, you get all the crowdfunding power with, while, you know, in, in a way, even minimizing the cost, it's cheaper to, uh, you know, give these programs in the long run, than you know, deal out with the, with the headaches and this, and the lawsuits that may come out of these security vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it just works all around. The only real, I guess, victims are the criminals and stuff like that. Yeah. So, highly supportive of this. Great job, Google. I'm one in a million. Keep it up. Let's hope that it can even beat that 7 million benchmark next year. Anyway, let's move on to our, our first big story, right? Uh, our first big story is going to be health. It's a health focused topic, uh, which you know, is on everyone's mind with COVID and all that going on. And mostly health with smartphones. So mm -hmm. speaking of, uh, so there's going with Google again, they have made some interesting technology um, headliners with their smartphone. Uh, Google announced this week that they can now take a pulse of your on your health and wellness with just your camera or your smartphone camera. Okay, so, interesting. So starting next month, Google Fit will allow you to measure your heart rate and respiratory rate using just your camera's phone. Um, these features will be available in Google's Fit app for Pixel phones only, with plans to extend it to more Android phones in the future. To measure your respiratory rate, you simply just need to place your head and your upper torso in the view of the, the phone's front-facing camera and breathe normally. To measure your heart rate, simply just place your finger on the rear-facing camera lens. Um, of course, these, me these measurements are made for you know, medical diagnosis or to evaluate medical conditions, but they hope that they can help people track, uh, you know, day-to-day -day wellness and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And thanks to the increasing powerful sensors and advancements in computer vision, these features are basically just using your smartphone camera to track little tiny physical signals on a pixel level. So basically tracking your chest movements to measure your respiratory rate or even subtle changes in the color of your fingers for your heart rate. I was like, that's pretty much the layman terms of how they're doing that. Mm -hmm. So what do you what do you guys think? I, mean, I think it's cool, right? That's a, I mean, that's a pretty big thing to be able to do. I mean, usually you used to need like a, 
you know, either an actual heart rate tracker or, you know, in the case of um, smartwatches, right, and fitness and fitness bands or whatever, those are it also. And and not everyone has access to those things, or not everyone even has one. But people are still very, you know, fitness conscious all over the place. So being able to track your heart rate and maybe just kind of track it and trend it over time uh, from nothing but your pure phone by itself. I mean, I think that's that's pretty neat. I'm curious how they do it. If I had to guess, they must use some type of like slight, they must look at like slight, um, I guess like pulses, like coming like, like you know, like when you, obviously when you're running or doing something, like your body is constantly moving a little bit, like you can feel it. So maybe well, like there are I, slight like movements in your neck that they track and see. I'm curious how it works, but it's so like cool. I said, like they use their the cameras using basically just tracking like chest movements and yeah. like to check your respiratory pace. So like your you know your chest moves up and down slightly when you breathe, right? They're basically tracking that at a pixel level. Yeah. And then using that as a rate to measure your heart rate. Yeah, it's it's, right? it's very cool. Very cool. What do you think, too? It's different, right? I want to see the accuracy behind it before I could further comment. But I think it's definitely a step in the in the right direction, right? Like, I think if anyone could do it, you know, it's them, right? I don't have any doubt in my mind that if anyone can do it, it's Google. But, you know, this I want to raise something that, you know, Ford brought up, you know, a few um, a few TechCast episodes ago, right? When we were talking about, like, diagnosing coronavirus with uh, Alexas. It's like, again, now you're getting back into the health data aspect, right? So it's like, yeah. who owns this data? is the question at the end of the day, right? What's the governance behind this data? And um, I think that's a very important point we should clarify before we move forward with this. But I think from a tech, from an engineering perspective, right? From an engineering perspective, I think it's an amazing feat, um, depending on the accuracy. From a data perspective, from a data engineering perspective, I wanna know who owns this data and what are the legal yeah. ramifications behind it, right? So. Very good point. I mean, I think it's important to remember that this is a little slightly different than the, than the situation we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, they're not trying to diagnose you with a disease or stuff like that, which could have major uh, implications, of course. But it's right. still, it's still health data that could affect like your health insurance thing. Of right? course, like, people... but they, right. they, 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 they have the warning that this is not for medical diagnosis. This is not for, this is not an exact medical analysis, right? This is mostly mm -hmm. just to track for your case well wellness right and i think it's i guess accurate enough they're they're claiming it's accurate enough for be like within the re the within the realms of reasonable right uh this is mostly for you to have a and i think an accessible way to track i think importing health mm -hmm. readings and then if you see something fishy right to then report it to your doctor and have an actual medical professional reading or diagnose right i think it's about keeping having these readings accessible to people without having an extra, an extra cost of buying an extra sensor, right? I think once you start getting to the realm of diagnosing and stuff like that, or proclaiming it as something like accurately as medical or stuff like that, I think it goes back to what you said too, and that's like become a huge ramification. About the data, I would also agree with you there, especially since I don't think Google talked about how this data is secure. I assume it's kind of secure on your phone, right? But if it's like it's a great assumption you're making there, though, from it's Google, it's a, a great assumption I am making. Google, this was Apple. I probably probably more secure about that. But this is Google we're talking about. So I don't know. But you know they haven't said anything. This is next month. I hope so that this is just data that's kept on your phone and not shared on their servers. I don't see a reason why it should be shared on your, their servers. 
But again, this is Google we're talking about. Well, I mean, so. you want to be able to track your fitness across multiple devices and blah, 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 blah. That's probably why they would... I don't know. I don't uh, know. Point location, see what health you're in, and then shoot you if you're about to die, you know? like <laughs> they, give, they give you that offer? Oh, man, how do I sign up? <laughs> I go, that's probably a Google fitness beta, uh, beta feature. Anyway, yeah. let's move on. This one's Apple, right? This is Apple's headliner news when it came to health this week. And it's something I actually been looking for for a while. I think this is something I've been proclaiming to you both of you guys that Apple should have been on the bandwagon for a while. Apple has now uh, uh, uncovered a new feature on, on their new beta version that lets you unlock your iPhone with your Apple Watch while you're wearing a mask. Oh. So anyone who has an iPhone X or related knows the struggle of trying to unlock your phone with Face ID and realizing you're wearing a mask and it's not going to work. And then you have to shamefully, shamefully put in your passcode. Or take um, off your mask, which is annoying. Or take off, which in some cases you can't. Yeah. You know, so... Why you know, not? What's going on? You're at, the, you're at the grocery store and you're gonna die. <laughs> so uh, Google finally has having a feature for us again. Sadly, this only works for users who have an Apple Watch. So, so write me and four off of this list. You like... guys are gone, but me, I'm strong. So basically, this is new beta feature in iOS that lets you unlock your iPhone with Face ID and an Apple Watch paired together. How it works is basically. Um, you know, uh, with Face ID, you have they have to do a full scan, right, of your um, of your face to unlock it, right? In this case, what they're gonna do now is have a partial scan, so mostly in the eyes and stuff like that mm -hmm. region, and then to fully verify the uh, change, you have to use your Apple Watch to, uh, you know, basically confirm that you want to unlock the phone. Yeah. If you have an Apple Watch, for anyone out there who has an Apple Watch and has a MacBook, this setup is very similar to how you can unlock your uh what's it called your macbook with your apple watch too basically you open up your macbook and if you have an apple watch nearby it lets you unlock it if you have that feature enabled uh, and it gives you a haptic feedback that you're locking it so it's the same way um again of course this is only using for unlocking your phone so you, you can use a setup to authenticate any apple products or apple store stuff it's only simply for to unlock the phone right so mm -hmm. any other those require additional authentication of course uh, but this is still in a beta. Uh, so if you have the, the new beta version of iOS right now, you can actually try this feature right now. If not, this hasn't been in a full release, which is probably why they're, they're trying to test it out. But uh, what do you guys think? One question, that? one question. Mm -hmm. Which Apple Watch versions does it work on? I assume the latest ones. So you're talking about Apple Watch Series 6, 5, 4... I'll even so not years. yours. Okay, so you're all, so you're off this list also. Perfect. Like, just well, What do you mean? I own the list. What do you mean? Don't you have a three? I have a five. Oh, never mind. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the list. I'm definitely on the top of the list. Okay, you guys are off the list. All right. I told them to make sure you guys are not on the list. <laughs> but uh, I mean, what do you guys think about this? Do you think this is the right route? What do you? What do you I still think they need a a, a true uh, what's it called touch i touch ID button on the next iPhone. I mean, uh, I think it's I think it's great, and I think it's definitely useful for um like your phone and stuff like that and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um I, I don't know, it's just you know, it's funny, it's funny that you bring this up today because I literally saw a video today, right? On how you can actually use your voice to actually open your iPhone, right? By putting in a shortcut using accessibility settings. So it really makes me wonder it's like, well, if we if we could just do that, like what why do we need, you know, this? But I understand security concerns around using your watch over your voice command because anyone can literally go, hey, Siri, 
you know, and all of a sudden something happens, right? Someone can literally take our voice right now as we do in this podcast and just play it over our phones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you guys have done multiple times with me. Um, it's fun. <laughs> I think it's definitely. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. I think. I think it's long overdue, right? Yeah. But you know, adding this as like a feature also worries me in the sense that like, how much longer do they think we're gonna be like here? <laughs> like, I'm kind of kind of trying to go out again and become it's a. a it's just for precautions. It's just a precaution. We. I don't think Apple knows the answer to that question. If they did, they'd. Making bank more bank than they are, but um, ten years uh, ten years later, you know, welcome back to Tech SF number number twenty three hundred. We are still in a pandemic. Like, I think that this is a really good idea. Um, I'm actually a really big fan of this. This actually might be what makes me go buy an Apple Watch to like tomorrow. <laughs> like, I like like I'm saying, like these are this is win win. I, I think Apple Watch Before buys an Apple Watch. It, pandemic ends the next day. It, everything I works out. Hate it when I have my mask on, and I cannot open my Face ID. It is so. Oh, it's like, a struggle. It's, so it, annoying. it's definitely, it's, a it's definitely, a, it's a definitely a first world problem, especially for people out there who don't even have. Yeah, I just type my passcode in, or I just don't even touch my phone when I'm out. I, actually, not, I acknowledge this. I acknowledge this as a first world problem, but it, if anyone who out there who have this situation, you understand the frustration. And you know, it is. Hold up, real quick. Do you know if this will work for like apps that use Face ID? So like, let's say you have like WhatsApp and you require Face ID for WhatsApp to log in. Can you still use that? Does it have yes, I believe, yes. I believe so, yeah. yeah. They only said Apple Pay stuff. So stuff See? you purchase stuff. I'm, I'm in it. I'm... <laughs> again, again, Apple has always been on the forefront of making sure their Apple Watch has always been the primary focus of health, right? And having this feature on the Apple Watch is just like, just easy checkmate. I think in their book. Or know, how about like maybe maybe even if they make like a keychain like biometric reader that pairs to your phone also that way I can just scan my thumb for my keychain real quick and unlock my phone. Why are you like giving that. Why are you giving Apple another three hundred dollar idea? All right, like they well, they already got a watch. I was hope that this would be like a fifty buck idea. Like this isn't that, I, this isn't that absurd. Oh no, it's no, Apple. No. You know the minimum starting <laughs> price is gonna be eighty five dollars. Like a fifty buck idea for Apple is like a three hundred buck idea for them. They gotta make it look nice and. Not comes into their marketing and then their research why do you think that why do you think they haven't released the air tags yet you you and you and me both know they're that it's to, done they're trying, but they're trying to figure out how to make it more square like, they're trying to trick the square the score is not perfect yet the ui has to be perfect if we they're just, they just trying to figure out how to make it more we expensive reduce the materials needed in this air square by about we're gonna use uh, the exotic we save 30 million dollars over the course of 10 years Damn. it has to be made by bamboo wood only for the for the single thread that it has Anyway, let's move on. We have a lot of stories. We're going on to our next major uh, big story, and it's Amazon. It's all Amazon. All right. Uh, so let's try to get these rapid fire, right? Next one. Um, Amazon has announced their you new... You gave us the same story. Oh. <laughs> well, Amazon has announced their new headquarters. I don't, know if you, their, I don't know if you saw for their Virginia headquarters, right? It's this eye-catching yep, Helix yep. office tower, right? So it, they revealed this Tuesday that for yeah. the next part of their headquarters development in Virginia, they're doing this 350-foot Helix-shaped office tower that can be climbed from the outside like a mountain hike. Uh, it's going to be the centerpiece for that features other 22-story office buildings. Uh, they said that it, the nature beauty of the double Helix can be seen throughout the world, and they wanted to incorporate that into their own uh, kind of office space. They hope to begin work next year with the projected completion date of 2025. So, quick thoughts on that. Have you guys seen? Look, it? that's a cool. That's a cool building. I would love to hike that building, but at the same time, it's like, 
who the hell's gonna work in that building? That's gonna be such a distraction on a day to day basis. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It looks man. like a spiral to me. Double helix. I don't know. That just looks like a spiral. A lot of people are uh, comparing it to the poop emoji. I just I keep seeing on Twitter. Um, oh God. Uh, I see know. it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it. Um, I think it looks beautiful. I think it, but once again, as someone who's very focused on UI and UX and design, that designer kind of aspect, I think this is one of the cases where someone in the design team had a really good idea, and it's really beautiful in paper, but then practically it's, it's executed. Like... It's just gonna be shitty in practical you know, use. I, I can also see just the... think like how much extra money is this gonna cost, and like think about where that. That's not a problem. That's not a. That's not a problem with Amazon. That's you think that's a problem for Amazon? <laughs> that's not a problem with Amazon. Amazon's like, whatever it costs, just make sure it's done by Tuesday. <laughs> that's pretty much what's going to be. Right, let's move on. That's not a you know, big story. Let's go to our actual big story. And uh, I paste it again. Yep. <laughs> uh, but the real big story, I still paste it again. Oh, did you guys know that Amazon is doing a double helix <laughs> office? Oh, wow. Whoa, no idea. You know, four thanks for that update. It was a fantastic Shut update. Shut up. Okay, the real big story is <laughs> our boy Jeff is stepping down oh, as Apple's man. Amazon CEO. So he's transitioning to an executive chair role, right? Uh, he's Jeff Bezos has announced that he's stepping down as CEO. Uh, he will move into a new role with a new with a title made for him. And he they're keeping him in a position where he can focus on innovation at Amazon and hands-off for the top job to a trusted departure. Uh, under Bezos, uh, Amazon was able to evolve from an upstarting online bookseller to one of the world's most popular internet marketplace, which can now deliver a vast quality of products and services. You know, just outside mm-hmm. of that alone, they had a huge services like AWS, which is now like inter- instrumental in most online services and stuff like that. Uh, and they announced that his possible successor would probably be Jeff, uh, what's it called? Uh, would transition to make way for Jesse. Oh, his name Jesse? So Andy Jesse. Jesse. Andy, Andy Jesse. Jesse will take on the CEO job. And uh, one of his possible successors is Jeff uh, Wilkie, Walkie, right? Yeah, uh, yep. Will, will soon retire. So he, he retired last week, which let uh, Andrew Jesse take over the new position. What do you guys think about this? Is this, I mean, big news in the earthquake in the tech industry. I would say big. I wouldn't say unexpected, right? Jeff, yeah. if you look at like, again, this is my dad, this is the data person in me speaking, right? But if you look at the statistics behind like founder CEOs and around the age of when they leave or their net worth of when they leave, right? Mm-hmm. Jeff has actually surpassed both of those, right? So he's past the age, he's passed, he's definitely past the net worth, right? So- You sure? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, just a little bit, right? Okay. I don't know about that, but I heard uh, my boy Elon Musk passed his. And name. he has a lot of, and he has a lot of other passions right now, right? Jeff doesn't want to focus on Amazon. Jeff wants to go focus on, you know, beating Elon to Mars and like doing a bunch of other stuff, right? So it's gonna be interesting seeing the two world's billionaires now literally duke it out for who can get to Mars faster. Um, I think Jeff has a little bit of an advantage with all the Amazon knowledge he brings. But it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I think, um, you know, Jeff is really, I think Jeff just wants to retire, wants to move on. And he's built Amazon to this behemoth that even for the next 50 years, they could do every single possible thing wrong. And this company will still figure out a way to make a billion dollars, right? Yeah. So I don't I don't have any fear of Amazon being a, another success story after this. And so we'll just uh, wait and see how it plays out, you know. Yep. But yeah. Um, 
I can't say it was unexpected. I can't say it was unexpected, but I can also say that it's uh it's an, it's going to be an interesting uh, change of pace for Amazon. It's going to be a new leadership, new focus, and you have to remember Andy Jassy comes from the AWS side of the business, right? So he's more technical more engineering focused he's not like jeff who was an operations expert right mm -hmm. he's well, more engineering focused so well, i can't well, wait to, to see the amazon has kind of already figured out their operational their operational stuff so i mean it'd be kind of really exactly. interesting to see them focus more on the engineering aspect. perspective now right i mean you've got these yeah. stuff like drones coming in now and well there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, engineering capabilities in even to kind of like intertwine and use together with your operational stuff so maybe well, that's an opportunity for them to really um, Really the, glad uh, you guys are talking. You're really thinking about the next possible thing this guy is going to bring up because already headliners have brought in what his possible moves are going to be, and that's what the next story is actually. So Amazon's next CEO said he's committed on making video games. Okay. Uh for the for Amazon's uh, one of Amazon's stepping stones into the future. So, uh, you know, he's going to be named the new CEO soon. He says he reaffirms his commitment to making video games. Uh, Jesse expressed his support for Mike uh, Fazni, the head of Amazon's gaming studio and a subject of uh, Bloomberg's pro profile last week, examining the troubles that the company has faced in gaming. He says, as he claims, some businesses take off in the first years, others take many years, wrote Jesse, circling the heads of Amazon's cloud division and Fazi's boss. He has a pledge of support from Jesse, taking on the importance, added importance that, that Amazon has to set that he will succeed as Jeff Bezos as the CEO. Uh, you know, the company's entry into video games was back in 2012, um, which was actually originally created by Bezos, actually, uh, as the three people who worked with him has said. Uh, but uh, on the other front, Google has also shut down their in-game development studio, if you guys didn't know, this past Monday. Stadia? Yes. So not Stadia exactly. So Stadia is still a feature, but Google had their own in-house gaming uh, video game developer studio that will make games exclusively for Stadia. They shut that down. So, oh, wow. So it seems like these two behemoths of tech are moving in different uh, opposing views. Uh, Google's going away from uh, a hands-on on video games, while it looks like Apple's next CEO is committed and adding his pledge of support uh, to Amazon's gaming studios and for more importance. So what do you guys think about this? The more the merrier. Let's get more video games. <laughs> I think I Amazon's going to be a behemoth in this. I think Amazon's next, you know, iteration is going to be um, Amazon's next iteration is going to be media, right? You've already seen it with the Amazon original TV shows, the Amazon original movies. How the, some of the biggest cinematic um, cis, uh, cities in the world, like Bollywood, for example, in India, have all transitioned mostly towards Amazon, right? So it's like. I see Amazon becoming the next big media behemoth, right? Um, I'm not going to raise the antitrust concerns that are going to come along with this, right? But it's it's going to be interesting to see how the video game aspect plays yeah. out as well, too. And so it should be fun to see. Well, I would say that Google has very had little success so far in the gaming world. Um, if you guys didn't know, last week they said that they have already spent $500 million on their video game uh division and they haven't have a single game to to uh you know show for it so their only nice. game that they released was crucible which came out last year and it was such a failure that they pulled it off from all the stores a week later 
<laughs> and, and it lost it lost 90% of its launch pl- uh, player base in like a matter of hours. Uh, oh. and, and their MMO that they released next year played it for next year, but it got delayed. So, you know, Amazon's on a total loss, but it, it, it spent $500 million so far and it has, doesn't have a single game to show for it. You know, here's another thing, right? I find that a lot of the big games that have been out and are coming out aren't doing as well as some of your smaller, more indie games recently, right? Like, just think about every game that has been popular and, like, really popular in the mainstream in the recent years, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Among Us, right? You've got, like, um, you know, PUBG. Oh, Fall Guy. You've Fall got Guy. Fortnite, Fall Guy. All of these games come out of indie publishers or, you know, rather smaller publishers that not everyone's had experiences with before, right? Even think about, like, the number one game in history, Minecraft, right now. That came out of a, a nothing, right? Mojang was was who who heard Mojang before Minecraft? Nobody. Well, so, they weren't I mean, really a company before then. We're we're in a we're at a point in time where big company games just aren't doing as well as they used to, right? I mean, you have a lot of you know smaller developers who are kind of running circles around them in the recent news. I think it comes more of a passion and an overestimated budget when it comes to these big guys. They yeah. kind of they tend to really like bring everything down to its simple factors and trying to like nickel and dime their consumers think of like ea and those guys you know trying yep. to really micro micro transaction everything well these you know smaller teams because they have such an easier entryway you know especially among us which is actually a free game right they could tend to you know blow up more because it's less entryway mm-hmm. anyway i hope the best for amazon right going into the video game development i always love seeing more competition there and you know unique flavor and taste and and, you know, in terms of cost, Amazon has all the money in the world. So in that front, I know they have no problems. So let's see how they make do. And last third thing, I want to end up on a really funny story. Like I always do. And I found a great story for this one. Oh, um, God. So we all know our boy Flash died in the last couple of weeks at Adobe Flash. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Beast. Um, but it seems like even after his wake, there are still men people are trying desperately to hold on to. Oh, and God. one of those guys is South Africa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so South Africa's uh, revenue service ran into a big problem this month when Adobe Flash stopped working on January 12, 2021. Oh, no. The agency still hasn't migrated all of its e-filing forms from Flash to HTML and JavaScript. So to fix the issue... They decided to release their own custom browser with a working Flash plugin, pre-installed and enabled. <laughs> that was their solution to this little problem. So as of today, the majority of, of their online filing systems have migrated to HTML5, but there were still a few lingering and tough holdouts that had no HTML versions in sight. So they just decided to, to just make a new browser that will be a stopgap that allows South African taxpayers and traders to access the remaining forms in the meantime. Uh, it's only available right now for Windows PC, so anyone who wants, wants to use a Mac or a Linux to uh, file their returns, or they're going to have to find either buy a Windows PC or... Paper returns return. it is. Paper returns it is. That's pretty much the only way. Uh, in order, Basically, how this browser works, it seems to be built from Chromium version 85, uh, which was released back in September. Uh, a South African citizen and self-described called guy named Hacker Coder guy uh, dug into the into their browser release and discovered that the Chromium version was on. 
He also discovered a file called securityreport.bat, which was bundled into their installation directory, which executed batch. It's a batch file that installs and runs uh, electron negative negativity, a micro config security problem discovery tool for electron mm-hmm. against the browser. As he noted, it's great that the officers were at least thinking about security, but the actual report that it generates is pretty grim. It reports that it has 32 feet issues with the code. Much of, much of it has a security of medium or high, and as well as the likelihood of firm or even certain. So <laughs> the browser isn't so, very secure. <laughs> so basically, instead of getting mugged on the streets, in South Africa, you can now get mugged online. Yes, Welcome to South Africa. The convenience is bulletproof. Uh, I can yeah. say the least. You know, it's it's kind of funny, right? Like, even if like they take all these precautions with like you know extra security or whatever, like now you're still running Flash, which isn't receiving any updates, and any security problems with Flash are still going to be problems for you. So, like, what's the point? What are you What are you doing? You don't. You don't do anything. You're. This is just a couple of guys. This is pretty much the government again. So I mean, slow to the party. Really, just, okay. just change. Just change the way you you handle those forms. It's not hard. They're forms. Make a new Appar- page. This apparently, like, this is HTML one hundred and one. Apparently, it was hard enough that they had to make a whole new. That's difficult. With the last, apparently, the last lingering forms were too difficult to migrate. Over. That's pretty it's much why. HTML one hundred and one. You can they- hand that to a. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it for. They couldn't do it. Okay, it was too hard for them. It's not that they couldn't do it. It's not that they couldn't do it. They couldn't afford it. Like let's be real. Okay, right. So then we just make new browser. Okay, good. Yeah, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. Trust me, it's cheaper. I know it from experience. But all you gotta do is just fork Chromium on GitHub, and you're good to go. That's it, man. It works. It works. It works. If it works, then it works. That's all I have to say. I have to say the funniest. The, to you know, finish up, I have to say the way I found this story was also pretty funny. I was on a Reddit thread, and I forgot what the topic was. Yeah, of course but, you did. <laughs> it was something about Flash, and then someone just said, "Well, y'all want to just make your own browser?" And then someone's like, I'm, "That would be so hard." And then someone's like, "South Africa did it," and then linked the story. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I discovered <laughs> the story. So um, it was a great way to find the story. I wish I find more of my news headliners this way, uh, with a kind of Reddit comment thread. But um, yeah, that's pretty much the end. This tech week, it's been a huge mountain of information from Jeff Bezos stepping down to the more important story: South Africa uh, making their own browser. Yep. So. You know, thanks guys for listening to another fantastic week of TechCast. I hope you guys are all doing well and safe out there. Please don't forget to follow us and subscribe to us on our social media platforms. Please give us a like, reply to our things. Let us know. I know many of you guys have burning questions, so give them to us. And please, and if you're in South Africa, uninstall that browser once you complete your taxes. Thank you. Just file taxes for paper. You really want? You really still want them to complete their taxes on that browser? Bro, I don't Man. want them to get arrested. Come on. No, fill out your taxes and then uninstall it. Get it out of here. <laughs> or just followed by paper. Or followed by paper. I followed by paper. Or find a way to find a fl- working flash. I don't know. Just figure out something. I I I envy you guys to have this problem. But figure. But it anyway, out. this has been Techcast number I think twenty four. Twenty five. Twenty five. I think. Yeah. Twenty. Mid twenties. Mid twenties. Mid twenties. We're in the twenties. We're in the twenties. Techcast twenty five. We'll see you at twenty six. Remember to go check us out on at the forty nine podcast on all major social media sites, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.